I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My name is Bodie and I am your host and it is another Saturday that I'm recording this show. Man, I don't want to say that I had a bad week because I didn't have a bad week, but I had a lot of really frustrating things happen this week. And let me just kind of walk you through a few, if you don't mind, just for just real quick. First, I was at work. I was going to make a really delicious dinner that included a ton of vegetables and chicken and I prepped all the food and I went to pull the vegetables out of the refrigerator because I prepped it like four hours earlier and I dropped all of the vegetables on the ground. Now, if you live in a firehouse, you don't eat anything that touches the ground because you walk through all sorts of gross, disgusting things when you're on a scene. So you just don't eat that food. So I was like, well, I'm going to throw this all these beautiful vegetables away. And that hurts my heart because I love vegetables. But I was like, I got this meat, so I'm gonna, I'll make the meat, and I'll make the best of it. And about eight minutes later, ten minutes later, I dropped all of the meat and the bowl that it was in on the floor, broke the bowl, bowl, and ultimately I just ended up eating some hummus, some naan bread, and apple pie because the apple pie was for to comfort me. Um, last night I was recording, or I was prepping the show, getting all the clips ready. I was about halfway through, it was 10 o'clock at night, I was about halfway through uh, getting the, pulling the clips from the 2019 Q2 Tesla conference call, and I hate what I was using keyboard shortcuts, and I was like, okay, I, this is going really well, I'm moving fast, and somehow I shut the program down, and it asked me if I wanted to save, and I said no, because I wasn't paying attention, and guess what? I lost all of that work, so I got really frustrated. One, one, if I had to say that I had a superpower, it is not the fact, like, obviously, I'm not great at public speaking, but if I had a superpower, I am really great at creative cursing, and I had a string of swear words last night because I lost two hours of work simply because... I wasn't paying attention to a keyboard shortcut and then a dialog box. I just completely, I just clicked no because that's my habit is just to click no before reading. Lost two hours of work. And then today I woke up because last night I was like, I'm going to bed. I'll start over tomorrow. Today I woke up, had a couple of things to do, repairs around the house. 
I went to Home Depot no less than four times, and I went to Ace Hardware one time today. Because all of these simple repairs, I kept breaking things throughout the simple repairs. Now, I'm a person that firmly believes you make your own luck. And I was probably rushing through a bunch of these things because tomorrow we're hosting a retirement party for my uh, old captain. I mean, he's an old guy, but he's my, he was a captain that I worked with for 10 years. I love and adore this guy. He re, Today's his last shift, so we're having a retirement party for him tomorrow. So trying to get uh, all these little problems fixed that I've been on my list. And then we're also trying to, you know, get the house ready for guests, which includes renting tables and all that and getting everything set up. And uh, we don't normally do our big cleaning days on Saturday and Sunday anyway. So that's just normal. But uh, I, I just want to say, like, hopefully this show goes well because <laughs> my week has been just a series of little bitty, insignificant, frustrating moments that have come to a head and I am done. Like I was putting, I was putting a light switch cover on uh, a light switch and I broke the light switch cover and I had to go to Home Depot to buy a stupid light switch cover. That was the last time I went to Home Depot. I mean, come on. Like I was just adjusting the way, way the light switch sat in the box, you know, I didn't like the way it was sitting. I probably did not need to do anything with this light switch. I could have just left it alone, but I was like, you know what? I don't like the way that sits. It looks crooked. So I fixed it. <laughs> and then I broke the light switch uh, plate. It's just, you know, one of those days. So let's talk about something that I like. Something that I like uh, is Rob. We have not found an answer for Rob and I would really like to. So Rob wants to buy a 85 kilowatt hour battery uh, a Model S with an 85 kilowatt hour battery, but he's concerned about the software downgrades or the software update that downgrades the battery. So if you have an answer, if that was significant for you, if you have a Model S with an 85 kilowatt hour battery and that was significant to you, would you please email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital, so we can get Rob an answer. I'd really appreciate that. <sighs> okay. Let's see here. Normally, in this spot, I do a Patreon plug, and I'm not going to do that this week. And the reason why is I get, believe it or not, I am very aware that the volume on this podcast is very low. And I, I explained a little bit of this last week. It's because my preamp is not powerful enough to power my mic. So I basically have to turn my preamp all the way up. As, as Well, it's not all the way. I can't turn it all the way up because there would be a lot of distortion. All the way up to the point of distortion just to get to where we are now. And I have some other things. I have a cloud that's supposed to boost the signal, and that has helped for a little bit. But I, there's just a lot of things plugged in to this preamp to get it to where it is now. So I went ahead and I bought a Universal Audio Arrow preamp which comes highly recommended in the podcast community i know that it'll work with my Heil pr40 mic and uh this thing costs 500 bucks so i hope to god that it works because my current preamp was about 130 dollars. so fingers crossed this will be a much better sound uh that will come because i didn't order it off of amazon and it, it's gonna take it said it would take 10 days to get here, which is ridiculous in today's uh, day and age. But, okay, 
I'll wait. It doesn't come till Wednesday of next week. So this is the last podcast that you will hear me on this uh, Scarlet 2i2 preamp. My next preamp will be uh, much better, uh, much higher quality. So here's what I would like you to do. If you like the higher quality preamp, this thing costs 500 bucks. The Patreon account only had $60 in it and I covered the rest of it. And I'm totally fine with that. I only use the Patreon money, like I said, for this show. I don't use it for anything else. And at this point, I don't even use the Patreon money for the monthly expenses of the show, like hosting and things like that. I only use it for big purchases like the software that we leased and now the preamp. So just just so you know, like I'm I'm not trying to live off of money that you give to the show. It go it really does go back into the show. So if you like, if you're on the fence and next week's podcast, you like the way that it sounds, would you please consider going to Patreon and just taking a peek? You don't even have to uh you don't even have to uh, donate anything or become a patron, just go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt and take a peek and see if it, there's something that would interest you there. I am doing more Patreon only exclusive content. And if you're a Patreon exclusive or a Patreon member, you're going to get something either at the end of this month or the beginning of next month. Kind of depends on how much time I have on Monday since uh, the month ends you know, next week. So anyway, um, I'll get off of that. Hopefully the show will sound so much better. So tune in next week to see how it sounds. I'm really excited. But today we're going to talk about Tesla's Q2 2019 quarter results. Let me pull up my cheat sheet here. We got clips on clips on clips. I cleaned up a lot of uh, the pauses, the stammers, and some of the ums and ahs. I didn't do it on every single clip because sometimes it made the clip sound weird. But Elon does a lot of uh, stammering, ums, ahs, long pauses. So it takes a lot of time to remove those. But I believe that in the end, it's more efficient for you, the listener. And it doesn't really add anything to have them in there. So like I said, it took me two hours last night to do the whole, uh, to do about half or a little over half of the show. Tonight, it was a little bit more efficient. I was able to do the whole thing in about two hours. So uh, I guess, you know, there was a positive there. I got faster at it. So let's listen to Elon's opening remarks. It's about seven minutes long, and I will see you on the other side. But before we jump into Q&A, Elon has some opening remarks. Elon? Uh, thank you. So last quarter, we delivered more than 95,000 vehicles, which is a record for Tesla. Put that in perspective, it's nearly an 80% increase in deliveries compared to the second quarter of last year. It's sometimes hard for people to appreciate when you have a large manufactured item with a complex global supply chain, just how difficult that is. Um, I'm incredibly proud of the Tesla team for being able to, to do that. Um, I think this, this level of growth is I mean, possibly unprecedented. It might, might be the fastest that, that any large complex manufactured item has, has grown in history. Re- really great work by the Tesla team to achieve that outcome. And you know we, we expect growth to continue in the future at you know for, for several years to come at, at the 50 to 100 percent level. Yeah, I just like generally think that that is not well appreciated um, how difficult it is to grow at at that at that rate. Uh, achieving a record number of deliveries is an important milestone and shows the rapid progress we've made in managing a global logistics and delivery operation at 
at high volume. As I said, all this was achieved thanks to the tremendous hard work of the entire Tesla team. Model 3 was once again the best-selling premium vehicle in the U.S., outselling all of its gas-powered equivalents combined. In Europe, Model 3 is approaching sales levels of its established premium competitors, and it was awarded a five-star rating from the Euro NCAP earlier this month. This is in addition to Model 3 receiving an overall five-star rating in the U.S. from NHTSA, and, uh, including earning five stars in every category and subcategory, and hand, uh, achieving the, the lowest probability of injury of any vehicle ever tested. Uh, Motor Trend also recently selected Model S as the best vehicle they have ever tested in their 70-year history across all other cars. So Motor Trend, which is arguably the, the, the leading authority in valuating vehicles, the Motor Trend Car of the Year is, is the most coveted award. It's pretty incredible that they would say that Model S in their entire 70-year history is the, the best vehicle they have ever evaluated. But this is despite Tesla not buying any advertising in Motor Trend and I think speaks to their journalistic integrity as something special. So, and, and since the vehicle that they evaluated, we've actually made tremendous advancements in both Model S and Model X, including our recent update of a new uh, suspension with uh, active damping capability and a new, an all-new drive, drivetrain that's capable of a 370-mile range in the Model S and a 325-mile range in the Model X. We've also issued numerous software uh, updates and improvements that have made Model S and Model X faster, safer, and added dozens of new features. Just like Model 3, Model S and X have the hardware needed for future full self-driving capability. As we look ahead to the rest of the year and into 2020, we remain focused on launching new vehicle and energy programs, uh, further expanding our manufacturing operations, and continuing to improve customer service. We remain focused on, on international expansion because local production is essential to being cost competitive. Uh, by the end of this year, we'll, we expect to be producing Model 3s in, in volume out of Gigafactory Shanghai. And as you can see from the photos in our quarterly letter, equipment installation there is progress, progressing well. Uh, we also hope to finalize location for our European Gigafactory before the end of the year. Uh, here in Fremont, preparations for Model Y production have already begun. Uh, since Model Y has high component overlap with Model 3, it should be, and we expect it to be, a lot easier to ramp. So something on the order of, of three quarters of all the parts are, are common between Model 3 and Model Y. And, and we expect manufacturing costs for Model Y, despite additional content, to be approximately the same as Model 3. Uh, this quarter, we opened uh, 25 new service locations and added more than 100 mobile service vehicles to our fleet. And although our fleet, uh, the, the, our total Tesla fleet size has doubled in the past 12 months, which is like, again, just like a, kind of a crazy thing to consider that Tesla is almost doubling all cumulative production every year. This is a, this is a totally mad thing to, to make as many cars in a, in a year as, as we made in our entire history. Um, and to have that be an ongoing trend, I think it, it, it's, it's difficult for people to really feel an exponential. We didn't evolve to feel an exponential we can feel a linear, but, but we can only understand an exponential at a cognitive level. Tesla is expanding at an, at an exponential rate. And, and in fact, if you look at the Tesla cumulative deliveries chart, like year-over-year -year cumulative deliveries, it's, it's about the cleanest exponential graph I've ever seen. So obviously, if that trend continues, the results, I think, are going to be pretty amazing. And I think that will continue. So uh, we've been able, we're able to improve service considerably. And you can imagine that if, if we're dub doubling our fleet every year, managing service is, is quite difficult. It's like the total, because service scales as the, not just with new production, but as, as the total fleet scales. 
uh, service needs to scale. And we, we want to scale service in a way that's sensible from a cost standpoint. It's really quite a, a difficult challenge to scale. Nonetheless, we've made massive improvements in service, especially in parts waiting. It's time, time to wait for parts and, and in collision repair. And we've insourced quite a, a great deal of the collision repair activities, which has had, I think, quite a good effect on customer happiness. Uh, and this will, this will continue in, in the months to come. Very important milestone, I think. We believe Tesla has, is now at the point of being self-funding, and we expect to be cash flow, a free cash flow positive in, in future quarters with the possible temporary exceptions around the launch and ramp of a new product. From a profitability standpoint, we expect to be probably around break-even this quarter and profitable next quarter. I you know, feel pretty, pretty confident about that. In terms of deliveries, we expect deliveries to be between 360 and 400,000. We expect production to be a slightly higher number than that and demand to be a slightly higher number than, than that. So the people often confuse deliveries, production, and orders for, for Tesla, and they're, they're actually three different numbers. You, you obviously cannot deliver more than you make, and so typically we'll make more than we deliver. And then demand generation activities kind of move in kind of like a – to get together with production. Like it, it doesn't make sense to put a lot of effort into demand generation if, if production can't meet the, the demand. And likewise, so, so w what tends to happen is that we'll solve the production issues, then it's like, okay, we need to increase demand, address demand, then then increase production, then increase demand. And like people get caught up in these details a lot, but if you look at the actual results, like I said, look look at cumulative deliveries over time for Tesla, cleanest exponential we've ever seen. Extrapolate that curve. So th there's a trend not to be excited about at Tesla, and we'll have more share in the coming uh, weeks and months. I think this is a good overview of where Tesla was in the second quarter of 2019 and even before that, and then where Tesla wants to be in the future. If I'm being honest, this was not the most exciting Q2 uh, Tesla com uh, earnings call that there's ever been. It was, it was pretty milquetoast. They don't really, they're kind of in between some things. Even though they had a record quarter, they lost $400 million. Elon says he expects the next two quarters to be profitable or break even. And then there'll be a dip in profitability when new products are coming online, like the Model Y, the Tesla Semi, and the Roadster, and the Tesla pickup, that kind of thing. Now we're going to hear from Zach Kirkhorn, who's Tesla's CFO, and he kind of puts a positive spin on the quarter. He adds to and sums up uh, a lot of what Elon said. And I included this clip mainly because we have a lot of Tesla shareholders who listen to the show, and I think that they would find this interesting. So let's take a listen. Uh, a few things I want to highlight before moving into the Q&A. Overall, Q2 was a strong quarter for Tesla. I'm extremely proud of the team for the progress we've made. We've achieved record vehicle production and delivery, record storage production and deployment, record services and other revenue with a corresponding redu reduced loss. Uh, as we've mentioned a few times, we stabilized international logistics and delivery operations at higher volumes. And we saw gross margin improvement in nearly every aspect of the business, adjusting for the impact of regulatory credit revenue. As a result of these accomplishments, we once again achieved strong free cash flows, which is only partially attributed to working capital benefits. We also successfully raised roughly $2.4 billion in net proceeds in May. Thus, we exited the quarter with $5 billion in cash and cash equivalents, the highest in our history. Our net loss reduced significantly relative to Q1, aided by higher volumes and progress on cost efficiencies. 
A few things to note. Uh, there's 117 million within operating expenses for restructuring. Uh, we had a sequential reduction of 104 million related to regulatory credits, which is inherently lumpy. And in our other income line, we saw a 66 million reduction. This is nearly entirely due to foreign exchange, uh, which we don't hedge. Gap automotive gross margin only reduced slightly despite the reduction in credit revenue and expected reductions in our vehicle average selling prices. Adjusting for the impact of credits, automotive gross margin improved materially. For Model S and Model X, ASBs were impacted by pricing actions applied to inventory of vehicles built prior to the launch of our powertrain and suspension upgrades in April, the majority of which were sold and delivered in Q2. For Model 3, global ASPs stabilized during the quarter at roughly $50,000, a sequential reduction, yet gross profit per Model 3 improved, representing the continued success of our cost management efforts. Note that we continue to defer a significant portion of revenue associated with full self-driving, which will be recognized in future periods upon the release of additional features. Operating expenses net of restructuring continues to improve as well, despite the increases in volume, reflecting the immense focus on improving our operating efficiency. And while operating expenses and capital expenses may appear to be unnaturally low this quarter, that's not the case. Rather, these reflect continued progress on cost efficiency and ability to scale our core technologies and processes. Uh, if we take a step back here, I think it's important to remember that Tesla is on a long-term journey, and it's difficult to see the full picture looking quarter to quarter. We committed that Model 3 would be a transformative product, both for the industry and our business. Three years ago, we unveiled the Model 3. Two years ago, we brought the product to market. One year ago, we demonstrated our ability to build the Model 3 at high rate. So far this year, we've demonstrated our ability to manage global deliveries and logistics at a higher rate, but the most important thing is that we've demonstrated our ability to generate significant organic demand, as nearly all orders generated in Q2 were non-reservation holders. And thus far in Q3, our order pacing is ahead of where we were at this point in Q2. And as we noted in our Q2 production and delivery release, our order backlog increased over the course of Q2. Ultimately, the Model 3 is accomplishing what our business needs it to do. It expanded our sales and customer base, enabling us to generate cash we need to reinvest. In the process, we've appropriately managed our operating expenses and have reduced the cost of running the business. This is critically important because I feel as though we've broken through a baseline fixed cost barrier enabled by the success of the Model 3 business. With continued focus on execution and cost management, the next 12 to 18 months should be the most exciting yet. During this time, we believe that Gigafactory Shanghai will be producing at scale. Model Y will be in production, addressing the most popular vehicle segment. Our European Gigafactory will be well underway. Our autonomous driving feature suite will continue to develop. Energy products business will grow, and maybe a few other things along the way. And while there is inherent risk in any large and ambitious set of projects, our intent is to grow and invest as fast as we can afford to. With the cash we have on hand and the stabilization of Model 3 across the key areas, as I've noted, we believe we're in great shape for this next phase of growth. In the next clip, Elon's going to talk about J.B. Stravel, the CTO and co-founder of Tesla. He's moving on to a senior advisor role, and he's kind of stepping down or stepping aside as a CTO, a chief technology officer. Drew Braglino, Braglano? Uh, he's taking over. I recognize this name, so I went back and looked at the Autonomy Day and the shareholders meeting. 
And it was during the shareholders meeting that Elon, Drew, and JB were all on stage. And I thought that this was really weird because it didn't really seem to work because a lot of what uh, Drew was saying, JB had already said or vice versa. And I didn't think it added really anything to their message. Well, now we know why they brought him up there because they were just kind of giving us an introduction to this guy, Drew, who is on board with what JB's doing. Elon and JB have confidence in this guy. And, you know, more than that, they're just kind of introducing the shareholders and the world to, you know, the new CTO. Although I don't know if they've said he's definitely going to be the CTO. If you listen to Elon, he says that Drew is going to take over some of JB's duties. So I don't know what that means exactly. Although there's a lot of outlets claiming that he's going to be the CTO. I didn't hear anybody say that directly from Tesla. Important update. JB Straubel, co-founder and chief technology officer, will be transitioning to a senior advisor from the CTO role. And Drew Bacchino will be taking over most of JB's responsibilities. I'd like to thank JB for his fundamental role in, in, in creating and, and building Tesla. Thank you, JB. Thanks, Elon. If we hadn't had lunch in 2003, Tesla wouldn't, wouldn't exist, basically. It's been, uh, it's, yeah, it's been a, quite an adventure of 16 years. Yeah. Lunch with you and Hal, Hal Rosen at Smith and at McCormick and Schmicks in Alsgundo. That's the reason Tesla exists. I, I remember it well. Yes. <laughs> and uh, maybe just to, to, to add a bit more to that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not disappearing, and you know, I, I just want to make sure that people understand that this is not not some you know, lack of confidence in the company or the team or anything like that. I, I love the team and I love the company, and I, I always will. Uh, so, you know, Drew and Drew and I have worked closely together for many many years, and you know, I have total confidence in Drew, and, and not going anywhere if there's anything I need to do to be helpful to. To Drew or the whole team or, or any of the ongoing projects. I mean, I, I'm I'm actually you know really happy with uh, with how we've kind of you know phased and, and transitioned uh, some of these different projects and people in, and I feel like this is a, a super good process overall. Here you want to say? Uh, I'll just say you know obviously uh, big big shoes to fill, at JB, but uh, we have been working closely. At, in fact, we were even talking about this project back in 2003. All along, and uh, but you guys talked about it in 2003 as well. Yes. Well, yeah. 2003 is a big year. <laughs> I was graduating and I didn't know what to do. So okay. I was like, oh, we should do this project. I feel exactly as you feel that we are well, well set up. That we know how to get help where, where we need to from you, um, and that uh, we're very excited about the the growth ahead of us, uh, myself and, and the whole team. So. And, and I'm excited to stay involved in, in some of our core technologies and, and uh, you know, follow that and help where I can, uh, just in less of, a, less of an operational, obviously less, not an executive uh, type role. Well, JB, thank, thanks again for your instrumental role in creating this company, and Drew as well. I don't think JB would be leaving this company if he thought that he wasn't leaving it in good hands. He doesn't seem to be, and granted, I don't know who this guy is, I just basing this off of doing this podcast for almost three years now. But he doesn't seem to be a guy who's just like, you know what, I'm tired of this, I'm out. He seems like he's going to be the guy that's like, you know what, I'm tired of this, but I'm going to make sure we leave the company in good hands before I, I go. So he's made his money. I think it's normal for him to leave at this point. He's been there for like 16 years. That's a lot. I do think it's important to note 
that Tesla was initially founded by Martin Eberhard and Mark Tarpanian. And they don't usually get their names brought up as founders. It's usually Elon and JB. And um, Elon and JB were definitely instrumental early on and were retroactively given the title of co-founders. But it was Martin and Mark that really came up with the, the whole concept. So I just wanted to give those guys their due. Now we're going to get to some retail investor questions. And the first question has to do with, de- with demand versus supply constraints. It has been stated that Tesla is supply constraint, not demand constraint. Can you help us shed some light on why Tesla is lowering car cost if supply is constrained? Uh, sure. There's a, a number of things to consider here. There's, there's really two key dimensions for demand. There's value for money, and then there's affordability. Obviously, if somebody simply does not have enough money to buy the car, it doesn't matter how much the value, how good the value for money is. You can have infinite value for money. If somebody does, does not have, have the funds to buy the car, they simply can't get it. It's just very important to, to parse those two. And you know, I think there's like there's a tremendous amount of desire to buy buy our cars, but people obviously, if they don't have enough money to buy them, they cannot. Um, so we, we have to make make the cars more affordable. Effectively, in, like in the U.S., our cars got almost $2,000 more expensive with the expiry of the tax credit on July 1, or partial expiry. Uh, we, we only uh, dropped the price of the, the Standard Range Plus Model 3 by $1,000, or actually, yeah, about $1,000. Base Model 3 actually got $8,000 more expensive, which seemed like a reasonable compromise. You know, that, that's essentially what I mean. People sometimes just have these sort of pretty absurd notions, like, if, uh, if demand is high, can't you just charge any price? Like, no, you cannot charge any price. <laughs> I think making our cars more affordable is also fundamentally part of the, the Tesla mission. There's more to this clip, but I'm not going to make you listen to all the financial speak. But the TLDR here is that gross margins will be going up after the full self-driving software becomes kind of fully baked. And this makes sense. The hardware is already in the cars. They're already collecting all the data from the, car- the, data from the cars. They just need to flip a switch, which costs Tesla nothing but costs the consumer, you know, six to $7,000, and that price was going to incrementally increase over time. Uh, Elon reiterates this later in the call that autopilot being added to the cars is going to be, you know, the, having that feature turned on is going to really boost Tesla's bottom line. They've also decreased Model 3's labor Costs by more than 50% in one year. So that's going to help them become more profitable. And that's probably where they're looking at next quarter and the quarter after that. Uh, they've cut their scrap costs down, I think, to 90%, they said, uh, or by 90%. So that's going to make it cheaper for the Model 3. And the last thing that Elon said was that Tesla needs to make a, a cheaper car or more affordable car. More affordable for who? More affordable t- affordable for Tesla or more uh, affordable for us, the consumer? Because he has made mention in the past that when full self-driving comes out, the price of the Teslas are going to go up because it'll be more valuable. I don't know if that's true, and I don't know if the market can bear that, but he has mentioned that, and nobody really pushed him on that today. Like I said, it was kind of a, a tame investor's call. So let's talk or let's hear about battery and powertrain day, which is going to happen sometime in probably February, it sounds like. So 
Uh, it's about a two-minute, oh, it's about a 45-second clip, so it'll be real quick. Thank you very much. Uh, the second question is, uh, many of us who follow Tesla closely are incredibly excited about a battery and powertrain investor day and its technology implications. Can you provide us any more detail on when this will be and what will be covered? For our battery day, we're going to do a comprehensive review of cell chemistry module and pack uh, architecture and a manufacturing plan that uh, has a clear roadmap to a terawatt hour per year. Now, the timing for this probably is um, about six months, like maybe February or March next year. Show and tell. I'm actually really excited about the battery and powertrain show and tell. Whether those are on the same day or on different days, doesn't matter. I, I think those are very interesting. But producing a terawatt of power per year is really, that's huge, because right now I think they're at 28 or so uh, gigawatts, and still that's a lot. So a terawatt of power, battery power per year, and I think they're considering over all of their factories, including the Panasonic factories, where they get the batteries cells for the Model S and Model X. I think they're including that in that terawatt, not just that uh, giga. Um, in China, they have. sounds like they have a supplier, but they're not saying anything about it. Uh, I didn't put this clip in there, but they don't expect to have any self-constraints for at least one year in China. So it sounds like they got that wrapped up, at least for a year anyway. And like I said, they didn't really say anything else meaningful on batteries throughout the rest of the the call so it's just kind of an update in our next clip elon's going to talk about service and not like customer service but like getting your car repaired and one of the interesting things i'm gonna spoil it a little bit is that tesla and elon want to get rid of service altogether they want to make their cars so that you don't need to have them serviced or rarely need to have them serviced and that's the best service experience for the customer and i would wholeheartedly agree with that uh, a lot of dealerships, car dealerships, and probably all car dealerships rely on the revenue that comes directly from their service department. And like I said, Tesla just wants to eliminate that. One of the things they, I don't, can't remember if they mentioned in the clip or not, I might have cut it out, is the number one visit, uh, the number one reason customers visit the service center is to learn how to use autopilot, which I thought was interesting. Now, having said all that, let's listen to Elon's service center update here. You stated on the Q4 2018 earnings call that customer service was a personal priority for 2019. Can you update us on what has been done to date to ensure that all owners are receiving an industry-leading customer experience? Uh, I meet with the, the service team multiple times a week uh, and, and get daily updates on the reliability of the vehicle. You know, like the, the best service, of course, is, is no service. Like that's the, the vehicle, just reliability and, and quality being, being so good that service is rarely required. That's the that's the well, that's the, the main goal. Is like uh, eliminate the need for service. Then, in terms of increasing service resources, as I mentioned, we're we're opening service centers as fast as we as we can, and and have already opened to 25 new service locations this quarter, and that that will increase. Uh, the, the, the rate of service center opening will, will increase dramatically in, through the course of this year, as well as more more mobile service. Mobile service is really great because it's like we, we just come to you and fix the car, wherever you are. And uh, that's, it's hard to beat that for convenience. 
cost delivery, we've made massive improvements to the logistics for, for getting uh, getting parts to service centers. I mean, Jerome, do you want to Jerome, how we manage the, the, the service, uh, the global service? And Yeah, uh, as, as you pointed out, service the best service is no service, so we're trying to uh, continue improving the quality of the cars. I'm track this daily, and fewer and fewer service visits are required uh, for the the most recent cars uh, that we're building. So we're on a good trend there. We also need a lot fewer um, work to uh, finish the cars in the factory. Uh, besides that, we store way many more parts at all the service centers, and we ship everything same day, pretty much, so that uh, people don't have to wait for car uh, for parts, and we accelerate service and we increase our capacity. And there's a lot of improvements uh, that we've already implemented and many more on the way. So uh, I'm relatively optimistic and I'm happy to, uh, to help. With One of the things that stresses me out the most about owning a car is having it serviced. And the reason why is because every time I go into a service center, I feel like the person or a mechanic shop, I feel like they're trying to rip me off. I feel like they're trying to take my money and I don't know if they're actually doing anything. I don't know if they're doing the right stuff. I don't know if they're causing more damage intentionally or unintentionally. So like for me, having Tesla, who has no interest in making money off of their service, having them come to my house and say, hey, look, this is what you need. This is what it's going to cost. It makes me feel more comfortable as a consumer, even though I'm sure that it's going to cost a lot more money. But in the past, I've owned Volkswagens and everything on a Volkswagen costs more money. So I kind of already have that in my head that it's going to cost a ton of money to fix anything in a car. But uh, to me, and I bet you to a bunch of other consumers, it just feels better to have, you know, I've got a, a nice sized garage. I can pull the Tesla in there all by itself. And, you know, the service guy can work until his heart's content in my garage. And I can just sit at home and, you know, record this podcast. It seems like a utopia to me, if I'm being honest. All right. Our final retail investors question is about Gigafactory 1 and is Tesla cell constrained? In April, Gigafactory 1 had efficiency of about 23 out of the 35 gigawatt hours theoretical capacity. Has this, has this been approved yet? Uh, and is Tesla still cell constrained? Are there any uh, near-term plans to increase the plant theoretical capacity? Andrew? Uh, we have seen uh, uh, improvements in the 23 gigawatt hour number. We're in the high high 20s now, uh, with uh, the trajectory continuing upward. Um, we're not we're self- about 28-ish. Yeah, 28-ish. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I would say we're not self-constrained for any of our activities at the moment. Uh, it's, it's, cell volume is approximately matching the production ramp rate. Yes. Yeah. Now we're going to move on to the analyst Q and A section. And again, this was not the most exciting earnings call. So a lot of it I didn't use, but I think, you know, what I do have in here, which is five or six things, is is kind of important to us, the community, and, and you, the listeners, and the folks who are also investors. So hopefully you get something out of this section. The first uh, clip we have is Model 3, is Model 3 cannibalizing SNX sales? Elon, I'm wondering if you can comment on whether you believe Model 3 is having any cannibalization impact on SNX sales or, um, you know, why you think that or why else there might be sort of a structural step down in 
the demand and delivery levels relative to what we've seen, you know, over the last five or six years? Um, actually, we're not. We we're just talking about this earlier today. We're not quite sure ourselves. I think that there's going to there's some cannibalization. Like there may be a false expectation in the market that there's like some big overhaul coming for SNX, which which then you know causes people to hesitate to buy if they think there's like some radical redesign coming, which is why I emphasize publicly that this is not the case. Um, the, the, the model SNX to today are radically better than the ones that, you know, when, when we first started production, especially S. Like, say, like 2013 or 2012 Model S compared to today's Model S, night and day. Um, in fact, I, I, I still run into people I know who have, like, 2013 Model S, and they, they think it, it, ha it hasn't changed. I'm like, it is dramatically better in every way. Um, but but we don't do model years. We, we just roll in improvements as they come. So... Um, you know, but I, I think there is maybe a, a communications issue where people don't realize just how much better the SNX are today than, than when we first started. Um, and I, we obviously want to address that communications issue and just get get better a better understanding, in, in, you know, of, from the front lines. Like demand should be higher for SNX than, than it is, and 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 we'll, we'll get to the bottom of it and fix it. So Elon's really hitting that there's no big Model S or X redesign coming, which is breaking my heart, if I'm being honest, only because that I really thought I was going to be there, and I made really confident statements that the redesign was going to happen this fall. So, huh, guess that's on me. But, uh, yeah, the Model S and Model X are definitely drastically better. When I did the... Uh, test drives of the Model X. I didn't test drive a new Model S yet, but it's a great car. It's a, an amazing car. You know what? I skipped a clip uh, for the retail investor section, and I'm going to go ahead and play that now. It's only about 15 seconds, the answer, but it's basically what's going on at the Lathrop facility. What is Tesla up to there? Uh, what is the new Lathrop facility? No, 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 nothing, nothing major. Well, we're just distribution warehouse. Yeah, we're optimizing the real estate, try to consolidate everything under one roof, reduce the, uh, the cost. There's not really nothing special there. Well, it does sound like it's going to give some room and some space for the Model Y to be built. So there is something special there. And anytime that Tesla can make things more efficient, uh, that's, that's a good thing for them, and it's a good thing for us as consumers. In our next clip, someone asks, about reconfiguring the the production floor at Fremont so that the Model Y can be built. Listening to you talk about mix here and uh, the fact that you're running a single shift, uh, your S and X facilities in Fremont, I'm, I'm wondering is there maybe some potential to to reconfigure the the floor space there a bit, and uh, is that something that you're you're thinking about? Um, well, we, we are reconfiguring the floor space in Fremont, uh, and there's a like quite a lot of factory space that's currently taken up with the SX uh, parts warehousing, or part parts for the SX line, and, and we don't really need that, so that's that's where we're putting a lot of the Model Y activity. Um, yeah, Jerome, you want to? Yeah, we, uh, where we're improving the material delivery uh, for uh, SMX, just like we have done for Model 3, I've seen some uh, radical improvements. We reduce uh, production part warehousing 
cost by again 90 percent nine zero since uh, q3 last year yeah uh, and so we're making a lot of room uh, we have we're, we're much more efficient with parts delivery it helps uh, that we're increasing production actually um, and so that space that we cleared out I'm looking at it right now uh, in in Fremont um, we're just gonna put more white stuff in there so every if you visit the factory from uh, I would say every six months you'd have a hard time recognizing and finding your way yeah it's constantly changing and evolving, yeah. Yeah, just need, a follow, I'm sorry, go ahead. So I was going to say, like, the, just the efficiency of this factory, both Fremont and Giga, is like the, the, just the rate of improvement, um, which is not slowing down, has, has been incredible. Uh, it's like, you just like, you can feel it and see it. Um, and just, just as a follow-on then, could we see you manage to make 8,000, you know, 7,500, 8,000 Model 3s? in Fremont by the, the end of the year, you think? Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, it, it's, I mean, I feel, I feel confident of, of a, it's, uh, you know, at least to say that the, the trend is very clearly towards being able to get uh, to 10,000 vehicles a week, um, of which that, that would be, you know, there's very rough numbers like, like 83 to 8,600 Model 3s and the balance in S and X, so six, sort of, you know, sixteen to eighteen hundred S X, and oh, yeah, in, in, in round numbers, eighty five hundred threes, fifteen hundred S X per week, um, but probably a bit more than that. Towards the end of the clip, there, the gentleman was talking about increasing Model Three production numbers to get to that really close to that ten thousand a week goal that Elon set a long time ago, and. My guess on this is that Tesla is not super worried about hitting that goal at this moment because once the Model Y rolls off, probably sometime, you know, fall, early summer, or late summer of 2021 is my guess, just a complete and total guess, that Model 3 is going to, it's still going to be popular, but demand for the Model 3 is going to go down. And I don't think they're going to need to worry so much about hitting that. 10,000 a week mark because the real number will be getting or the real test will be getting the Model Y to that 10,000 and you know probably the Model 3 if I had to guess the Model 3 is going to hover you know around 7,000 and that'll be 7,000 a week and that'll be great for the demand for the Model 3 but the Model Y is probably 10,000 or above that's my guess I don't know but Based on doing the show for three years, I really feel strong in my heart. But I also felt really strong that they were going to do a redesign on the Model 3 or on the Model S and Model X this fall. So we'll see what happens next year around 2021 or next year around the summer of 2020. Excuse me. All right. We're almost done here. The next clip we're going to talk about Model S and Model X demand. And that kind of goes along with, is Model 3 cannibalizing Model S and Model X? Okay, and can I have a follow-up question around Model X and Model X saturation? You know, obviously you guys have some some ideas around how big that market is. How should we be thinking about sustainable volumes and, and, and pricing uh, on, on those volumes? You know, uh, obviously we're we're seeing some lower numbers here, and I think that's, that's a core element of uh, what's going on with the story, that as we, we see pricing drop and volumes drop, um, what are the right numbers to think about for you guys from a, from a planning standpoint in terms of uh, sell-through on, on both the Model S and Model X? 
Yeah, I think there's probably a bit too much focus on, on SNX. Um, and it's this, the, the SNX are, they're, 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 they're nice, but, but they're not, you know, and, and I guess it's like, we, we, you know, without them, we couldn't spell sexy. So, um, you know, so that, like, I would say, like, you know, the main reason, well, not the main reason, but it, <laughs> a, 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 a reason is we, we, we want to keep spelling sexy. So that's, that, that, like, that is a reason, I should say, not the main reason, but the, a reason to keep going with SNX. But, but the, the, the story for, for, for Tales in the Future is fundamentally Model 3 and Model Y. And, and you know, I think, like I said, like my, my guess is, like, like long-term sales of, of long-term meaning, you know, in a couple of years type of thing, uh, demand for, sales and demand for, and three is, like, on the order of three-quarters of a million units a year. Uh, and it's probably one and a quarter million units a year for Model Y. So the, the, the combined is, like, maybe two million from those two vehicles alone. Um, and, and then SX is like, you know, maybe 80 to 100K uh, a year. So it's like 4 or 5% of the volume of 3 and 1. Um, and then you throw like a, a truck in there, pickup truck, and tell the semi, it just gets smaller and smaller. So, you know, they're, 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 they're great products, but they're, from a volume standpoint, they're, you know, not all that important. So Elon's downplaying the S and X for now. I do believe that it plays probably a bigger role or is more important than he's letting on. And I really believe in my heart that they have something special coming for the S and X that's going to put it back on the map because it's true. When I talk to my friends, they think that the S and the X are um, not as sophisticated as the Model S. And because of that, I'm guessing there are other people out there who think the same things. Now, I don't get that when you folks email me because you guys are, are tuned in and turned on and you know what's going on. Uh, but my friends are just, you know, regular mopes that are hanging out and uh, seeing this on regular TV news. And they're like, oh, the Model 3 is out. It must be better than the Model S. And I think a lot of the reason why people think the Model 3 is better than the Model S and or X is because it's like the iPhone or the Samsung phone or they're an Android or, or Apple person. But when a new iPhone comes out, it's better than all the other iPhones. And Tesla is a car company, but they're also a technology company. So when a new car comes out for Tesla, it's the better one. That That's my, based on you know, informal polling and just talking to random regular people about this stuff. That is what, that is the impression that I get is that, Oh, it's, it's Tesla's a technology company. The new car is the, the biggest and best thing that they have. And that's not necessarily true. And Tesla does need to get their message out there a little bit better about the model S and model X to the folks who can afford it. Of course, not everybody can afford a 90 to a hundred thousand dollar car. Our next clip is about distribution, but it kind of runs into or rolls into service centers and sales. And I thought it was actually pretty interesting. Uh, I'd like to, to to ask you, Elon, about uh, distribution. So you you, you made like uh, you guys made a, a big change in the, at the beginning of the year, going from like an almost 100% online 
distribution model. You try to push back on uh, on test drive and get people to buy the car, try it, and return it if they don't like it. So could you give us uh, an update on uh, how it is progressing? Do you see Tesla becoming like a, mostly like an online distrib- distribution, uh, following an online distribution model? And I saw you open 25 new uh, retail locations uh, in the quarter. So how do you see your uh, retail footprint evolving over time? Um, actually, I was saying like, we opened 25 service locations. Um, I, th- I think the, 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 really what we find is that the, the word of mouth for Tesla is incredibly good. So w- once there is a nucleus of customers in a particular area, that they love the cars and they talk to their, their, all their friends about it, and that, that's really what drives sales. So you can think of like like a retail location is kind of like a like a viral seed um, in a, in an area. Uh, it, it would grow organically by itself, but but the the retail location essentially is like a viral seed. Um, it's not it's not they aren't needed. They're just they're they're like an accelerant. Um, the, the, what, what's what's what is needed? To, for, for sales in, in any given area, and I'd say this is worldwide. I don't, I, I, you know, frequently we told like this country is different or that country is different. I'm like, people around the world pretty much want the same thing. So, in my experience, uh, but they, they have to. You have to have um, a service location uh, that's convenient. So it can't be like you've got to drive you know, five hours to a service location. Um, to, you have to have. You have to have service. You have to have. Supercharging and charging well sorted out. You've got to have good consumer financing, and then the price must make sense. Um, and any place where those four things are true, our sales are great. So we're rolling out service centers like crazy. So service centers are the key to sales, not the retail locations. Yeah, and we're going city by city on the service center point. We're looking at where our populations are of existing customers. We're mapping driving time from those customers to the service centers, inclusive of traffic, to improve densification of our service centers in the locations in which our customers currently reside. We do have areas that are underrepresented with service centers where the drive time is too long, or there are populations that don't have appropriate access to charging their service centers, and we're working as fast as we can to get places up and running in those areas. So. Uh, it's very systematically being mapped out with a focus on service and supercharging as opposed to a retail presence. Yeah. The supercharging is incredibly important. If, if you, you, you can't just have like 80% of the routes that somebody wants to take. You, you need 100% of the routes. Because a car is like, is really freedom to travel. And anything that inhibits freedom to travel is, impairs the fundamental value of the product. Or perceived. Yeah, exactly. Real or perceived freedom travel. All right. We'll get to our next clip here because we're pushing up against an hour. The next clip is about full self-driving and what markets is it going to be available in. And really the big sticking point for Tesla is the EU, the European Union, because of regulations that they already have in place. Elon, you mentioned um, you know the importance of uh, full self-driving for gross margin. You've also mentioned the importance of, of China. Um, do you expect to be able to offer the full self-driving suite um, that you plan to offer in the U.S. and China? And I guess even in Europe where they've been also been a little bit tougher um, on regulating. Um, yeah, we expect to be able to offer full self-driving actually everywhere except the EU because of this. there's, there's uh, just some uh, committee rules that were put in place 
years ago that that need to be changed. It, it's not from a technical standpoint; it's very doable. Uh, but we just need to work through the regulatory committees to um, to, to get the re regulatory approvals and, and and rules changed. And it, it it just it'll just take a bit longer than than other places. But I think we'll see uh, a lot of pressure from our customers in Europe to have these rules changed so they can have access to full self-driving. Um, and I think at the end of the day, the you know regulators will will answer to to the public. Um, so so I think that's. Uh, you know, it's just a temporary thing, and it's, and it's quite specific to to the to EU uh, rules. Um, and and we, we were just not present really when those rules were drafted, so that's that's so they sort of got put in place. But they they don't they, make, they don't make a ton of sense. But we just got to work through the process to change them. If full self driving is what Elon promises it is, I don't think they're going to have any problems with the European Union. Because they can prove that it, they'll be able to prove that it's safer if it does what Elon says it's going to do. That's kind of the big if. Hey, before we go on to our last clip, I do want to say hello to Frank. Frank hit me up on Twitter this week, and I really appreciate it. Hi, Frank. Our last clip today is about parts availability. Okay, and then the second question is, you know, you mentioned service um, a number of times. It's obvious, there's obviously been some, I think, growing frustration with, with, with owners. Um, and you mentioned, you know, parts availability and, and you've issued the, the dealership model. You know, I guess, how do you plan on increasing parts availability without the corresponding working capital uh, commitment that would be required as the fleet continues to grow? Uh, it's actually just t taking the parts that were stored in a, in a bunch of warehouses and just moving them to the service centers. Um, and, and kind of just like the, the thing that makes sense is to, I think, to, to have the service centers where the parts are kind of all on the wall. And it's like a supermarket. Like, you know, you always know where, like, the Cocoa Puffs are, um, and, and you can just go immediately there and go and grab it, and then you just replenish the the, the shelves with, with parts. And so we're, we're basically putting all parts that are used uh, more frequently than, like, six weeks um, on literally on the walls on service centers. So you, um, there's, there's, no, there's no ordering of the part. You just go take off the shelf and put it on the car. We really want to get to not, not merely same same day service, but same hour, um, sort of like Jeffy Lube, but applied generally to service. Yeah, and specifically on the working capital piece of this, we, we actually have um, a significant amount of service parts inventory. The challenge is it's just not at the service centers. Yeah. And so a lot of the lag that is experienced is we have to get the part from the distribution center to the service center. And so by moving, by localizing the parts, I don't, I don't expect that to be a large working capital drain on the company. It might actually be the reverse. Yeah, where we don't need to store as many parts centrally. Yeah, and, and also just having your know, parts, if they're made at, if we make them internally or if they're made at a supplier, just sending them directly to the service center instead of like having them go through a bunch of distribution exactly. outlets. It's, in fact, like when I was in China my last trip, I was like asking the China team, hey, is there anything silly that we're doing that we should fix? And they said, yeah. Um, well, several of the parts that require replacement are, are literally made in China, and, uh, and then we end up shipping them to New Jersey and then back to China. And could we please uh, just ship them, like, literally across the road? Mm -hmm. um, like, yeah, no problem. There's all these, like, crazy things that happen, as, you know, if you're, like, if you have a 45,000-person company and, and then just kind of basically stop, stop doing silly things uh, is a lot of what we've is needed for, for, for improvement 
And, and as the scale of the business increases, the economics of localization of, of things like parts distribution make a lot more sense. Whereas in the past, when the company was smaller, having centralized centers it was easier from, from a cost perspective. So, you know, the business thing, because the company is growing so fast, as Elon has mentioned, we have to continue to redesign processes and systems to restabilize ourselves at a new plateau of, of volume. Yeah. And then we'll grow again and we'll need to rebuild those processes. Yeah, I mean, Tesla's the only company making things in volume that is fully vertically integrated all the way through sales and service and, and charging and everything. So we really just need to look at total system efficiency and say, in the limit, if Tesla was the auto industry, how would we do it to, to maximize economic efficiency? We've got to kind of like recalculate that optimization as, the, as we achieve greater scale. But I'm confident we can, we can achieve, achieve a, a fundamentally better economic efficiency than the rest of the auto industry. I really like the same hour service idea. Again, this goes back to my, you know, hatred of taking my car to a service center or a mechanic. It's really a fear. It's a fear that manifests as a hatred. But I, I honestly don't understand why this parts availability uh, concept, having them at the service centers, is so hard for analysts to kind of wrap their heads around because this is like the third time I've heard this question asked on a, on a call. And it doesn't, uh, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like they already have the parts. They're just shipping them to the service centers that need them, uh, pre-shipping them to the service centers that are probably going to need them. And I'm sure Tesla knows based on the data that they're collecting in the areas, you know, what's going wrong with certain cars and they can already pre-order the system can pre-order the part and before somebody even calls in somebody may wait three weeks before reporting a problem well tesla's already got that information it's like if you go to amazon and you look at you know you look at a light bulb a specific light bulb smart light bulb we'll say 18 times 20 times eventually amazon's going to ship that light bulb to a service or to a distribution center that's close to you so that you can get that in two days when you finally pull the trigger they already have all the data tesla already has all the data i just don't understand why it's so hard for analysts to wrap their heads around this and then you know tesla's exercising common sense which i think everybody would agree is amazing because we want tesla to exercise common sense all right, everybody, that's it for me. If you want to email me, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. Again, that's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. Let's see here. You can follow me on Twitter, at 918digital. And that's the whole show. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I will talk to you folks next week on my new Aero Pre-Amp. I'm very excited I check the UPS uh, site every probably two hours just to see maybe it's going to come tomorrow. Maybe it's going to come tomorrow. Well, it won't come tomorrow. It's Sunday. But anyway, have a great week. I should be back on Friday barring any screw-ups that I, you know, any mistakes that are my fault. Barring any of that, uh, I should be back on Friday with a regular show. I really appreciate your patience. Have a great day, and thanks for listening all the way through.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.